Welcome to the podcast for emerging and blue-collar leaders. This is The Growth Project. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to The Growth Project. This is going to be a brief episode. I thought that we could do a Q&A, and the reason for that is I've got a few emails from from some of the listeners here and I made contact and asked if they would mind me sharing these on an episode and they've graciously agreed to that. So that's really, really awesome. Thank you to those people. So I'll jump straight in. I'm I'm actually on the road for work this week, so I don't have time to record a full episode, but I thought that responding to some of these questions might be uh, helpful to some other people as well. If you've had any situations like this or, you know, even just keeping some ideas in your back pocket for the the event where you might come across some situations similar to these. Um, Let's jump into the first one. The first one says, I have an employee who is very unreliable, often late and lots of sick days. Last time I dealt with it, it didn't go well. It's getting bad again. Any tips? So my first thought is um, I'm I'm trying to envisage how the conversation may have went where you say it didn't go well. I assume that it escalated and it maybe got heated and that's not uncommon and there there are emotions involved. So look, you can't be blamed for having some uh, emotions related to that and neither can they. So I guess it depends on how we choose to go into those situations. It does sound though that maybe a repair is in order. So go back and listen to the episode on rupture and repair. It might be worthwhile for the sake of the relationship to build up some trust and rapport to go back and acknowledge if you've had a part in that conversation escalating and owning that and taking that on board and saying, I'm not, I'm not really pleased with how I handled that conversation. Can we revisit this in a, in a more respectful way? I really want to have a chat to you about it so that we can come to a, you know, get to a better place. But I would, I would approach this conversation from the outset, put aside, you know, previous conversations I would go into this conversation just saying, look, I have noticed that you've had an increase in sick days lately. I'm wondering if everything's okay. If you're okay, um, you're obviously entitled to some sick days, but firstly, I'm worried that, you know, that, that there might be something going on that um, you need some assistance with. Uh, I'm also concerned that you might run out of sick day allowance um, for, you know, so if there's any issues where we can provide any support, please let's um, let's have a chat about it. But also uh, it is kind of disruptive to the business, of course, not knowing if you're going to be coming to work or not. So you could focus on the effect that it's having as opposed to really pointing fingers and having a bit of an attack on that person. It's not going to go well. Uh, by sort of attacking the person 
focusing on the person. I'm a big believer in focusing on the issue and not focusing on the person. That changes everything. That changes the tone and it keeps it in a more productive space when you're having that conversation. So for me, it's all about the way you handle the conversation. Don't focus on the person, focus on the issue. Second question I have is, I feel like my youngest team member is learning the job far too slowly. He's been trained and has all the relevant tickets, but I'm still spending way too much time managing him. It seems like there's a lack of maturity because of the age factor, but it's really slowing me down. What's the best way to respectfully make an ultimatum? Okay, so when I, when you say ultimatum, I assume that you're suggesting more of a pull your socks up or you're at the door kind of ultimatum. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry if I've not read that correctly, but that's the way it's kind of coming across to me right now. So feel free to correct me via email again if that's if I've read that wrong. But there's a few things to unpack here. So firstly, I would call the Jets and I wouldn't be going to an ultimatum. First thing to remember is um, let's talk a little bit about young workers. So young workers, if we, uh, if we, if you think back to the time you first went into the workforce, I'll talk a little bit about my first experience in the workforce as a full-time worker. Coming out of school, very different lifestyle change. It's a massive culture shock, right? Going from an environment where everything is kind of structured and laid out for you um, and there's very little pressures in life. School days are relatively chilled and, and, um, and laid back in comparison to the demands of a lot of work places, right? So firstly, there's a big culture shock. And if, if I think back to my, my entry into the workforce full time, I found that quite a struggle to adjust to at first. Okay, um, there's a whole new world unfolding for young people that are coming into that stage of their lives. And yes, I know we might be thinking, I, I did it, we all did it, we all have to just pull our so- socks up and get on with it. Yeah, okay, look, we, yes, we all did it, but did, I wish I, did we all wish we had a bit more support? Did we all miss, wish that, um, that, that somehow that, that transition was made easier? Absolutely. So why not? do what we can to help make that happen. So with young people, the other thing to remember too is that coming into that, into a workforce, it's very intimidating to, uh, they want to make a good impression. They're not there to, they're not there to make your life difficult. They want to start building a career, but they're still young. They're still developing. They're still learning appropriate behaviors, appropriate responses to things, they're still learning that the, 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 they need to pick up the knowledge for the job. They need to pick up the skills for the job. That's a lot of pressure on a young person. And I think that sometimes, um, we might be a little bit lacking in the development side of things. So I, I note in the email we're, we're saying that they've been trained and has all the relevant tickets. My experience in the learning industry is that just because someone has been trained and has tickets doesn't necessarily mean they have all those skills or they have them polished, right? So 
I don't think it's fair to put on a young person who's new to a particular job, hold them to the same performance standard as someone who's experienced and had time to go through all the troubleshooting, troubleshooting mistakes, making mistakes and learning from them. Okay, I don't think we can compare those. So outside of the training environment and the tickets, what kind of coaching and mentoring has been given to this young person? Okay, if you think it's too hard to put effort and time into training and mentoring and coaching on the job outside of the training that you're sending them to, just compare that to the effort and time and investment involved in hiring a new person and starting from scratch again. Okay, so this is something worth putting a lot of energy in into. So I would make sure that you're using some effective coaching techniques. So one a great uh, cliched technique is called the tell me, show me, watch me approach. So we're going to tell the person how to do the task. We're going to uh, show them or demonstrate the task to them. And then we're going to allow them to practice the task under our supervision and provide them feedback as they go. And we're going to repeat that until the person feels really comfortable and they start performing the task at a acceptable standard. And you, of course, need to make yourself or other people available for ongoing mentoring and coaching as you go. You need to do that for all the different tasks that you expect them to do. This is something that will reap rewards if you put the effort into it. But how can we expect people to develop if we don't put time and effort into coaching them on the job, keeping in mind that just sending them to a course and getting them a ticket does not make them proficient, okay? So there's competency against, uh, you know, national training standards. That's one thing. But proficiency comes with applying problem-solving techniques, applying a range of different experiences in the workplace to that base-level competency that they've gotten from their training. So again, I wouldn't be going to ultimatum. I would be investing time in coaching and mentoring, okay? Build those relationships. When you build a strong relationship with the young person, they will build some trust towards you. When you've got a good, strong level of trust, that's where all of these um, investments you're making in that working relationship, they will pay dividends, okay? And you won't regret putting that effort in. The third one, He says here, I've been trying to build a better vibe in my team and sometimes I think we've had a good positive shift. Then something happens and we're back to square one. I find it hard to agree with what you said about holding back or backing down when conversations get difficult. By doing that, people learn that they can push back harder and know that you'll give in and that's not a positive thing. I like the idea of what you said but it doesn't seem to work for me. So, okay, there's a bit to unpack here too. So firstly, I note there's a section here about referencing some some tips that I gave. So when you say holding back or backing down, when conversations get difficult, I presume you're talking about my technique that I put forward about taking a break in the conversation if I, if you can feel yourself getting overwhelmed and escalating. So what I would say though is that keep in mind that isn't intended to be a, a fix for the situation. This, that's, that is a tool 
It won't fix the situation by using it a few times. Okay, what we're trying to do with that is I'm not trying to provide a magical tool to build a better vibe in your team. These tools are designed to build and enhance trust and relationships in the workplace. And we need to do that consistently on a consistent basis to build the trust. When we build the trust, that's where people will start putting their guards down and that's where we'll start to see relationships enhanced. That's where we'll start to see people bouncing off each other better, collaborating better, more effectively, and being a bit more open-minded because they start to learn that they can trust and that the behaviours of the people around them, and in particular their leaders, that the behaviours are not unpredictable. So if we're finding that um, if we're finding that we're having ruptures every now and again, and we're not following those up respectfully, and and as I've sort of suggested, owning your own mistakes, there is the potential that you're fo- having little bits of progress in building the relationships but they're being a bit undone with ruptures along the way. So if we're not having the repairs from those ruptures, you're just going to be coming back to the start point again and making it harder to pick up that ground that you've just lost. So what uh, in this case, what I'm going to say is that... um, you need to make sure that your employees or your team learns that you can be predictable, that you're not, when we have unpredictable behaviours, that's going to create, uh, put people in a position where they need to create a bit more defence. They will be a bit more guarded because they don't know what to expect. So, um, I don't necessarily agree. I don't think I don't think I agree that people are learning that they can push back on you to get the result that they want. You still there have the right to come back to a situation or a conversation and say, "Look, let's revisit. I'm not happy with how this went. Um, here's the outcome that I need. Here's the impact of what this situation is." Okay, so if you're finding that you're needing to confront someone on an issue, again, we're going to focus on the issue, not the person, and we're going to tackle that issue, inviting the person to problem solve and collaborate. But it's a bit hard to advise, I guess, or provide some insights if I don't have context. But if I'm if I'm reading if I'm reading here correctly, it sounds like you're focusing on behaviours and connections between team members. That's what you're trying to improve and you keep having setbacks. I guess I'm having to make a judgment that these setbacks are ruptures. Again, I'll just go back and listen to the rupture and repair episode again. Again, we're just investing time and effort into those relationships, having those conversations more respectfully And again, you might remember I made the point that when we do have a rupture and we have a repair, we might take ownership of our part in the conversation and own our mistakes in the conversation. But again, if we don't show a changed behaviour from that apology, related to that apology, then people are going to realise that your word doesn't mean anything 
and you're going to erode trust at a rate faster than you're building it to a point where people either won't hang around or they'll put up a permanent defense. Okay, so I think in this case, I would just persist with the techniques that we speak about. I would make sure you're having really genuine repairs and really doing the work, the self-work to identify why you keep having ruptures, if that is what's going on, identify why you're having ruptures and identify your part in that and actually working on them. Yeah. So that that's really the only thing that I can think of that's going to work in that context is if you're having ruptures and you're a part of that, you need to fix that. So a bit of self-reflection there as well. Now, I'm not saying that it's all on you. If you are, if there are behaviors in other, from other people in these relationships, then we need to have those conversations with that person, but we do it respectfully. Okay. We focus on the, on the issue and not the person. We talk about the impact of behaviors as opposed to talking about the behaviors and, and pointing fingers. We, we make the other person understand what the impact is of their behaviors or their actions and invite them to uh, problem solve on those and just help them see the impact that it's having. So you start collaborating like this, people will learn to trust that you can, uh, that you can have these kinds of conversations in such a way that doesn't make people feel as uncomfortable. Okay. So I hope some of that was helpful. Again, like I said, I'm not professing to be an expert here. These things though have worked for me in my career. It's been a bumpy road at times, but they've certainly worked. And I think I, I know that there are lots of people in my network uh, are seeing similar successes with very similar approaches and mindsets. So again, I think really a lot of this comes to comes down to self-awareness and acknowledging any areas for self-improvement. Us as leaders, we've got to maintain accountability for our, our responsibility to drive the behaviors that we want to see in our teams. So sometimes that means not us um, bowing down. That's not what I'm saying because that's not what we're doing. It's all about acknowledging our own flaws or deficiencies or gaps as a leader and finding ways to bridge those. And if we focus on relationships and we focus on issues and we don't focus on people's um, flaws in their traits or, or uh, uh, we're not, when we have these problems and we're not focusing on the person, we're focusing on the issue, I think those are the biggest steps you can take. So I'll leave it with that. I've got a couple of great episodes planned. I'm also doing a show for another podcast in the educational space, which I'm really excited about. I'll put out some details for that in the next couple of weeks. So stay well, everybody. 
Look after yourself, look after your people, and we'll see you on the next one.